This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debate. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Ben Hall. Ben is the Chief Executive Officer for Golden State Medical Supply Incorporated, a distributor of generic pharmaceuticals and other medical products, uh, you know, with contracts with the Department of Veterans Affairs, DHA, DLA, really, and and others. And uh, today we're going to be talking about um, generics distribution um, in the federal market, you know, the role that you guys play with VA and just what you see coming down the pike. Um, so first of all, Ben, uh, it's great to see you again and welcome to the show. Really appreciate it, Roger. It's uh, it's great to be here. I'm a believer in uh, reciprocity, and uh, <laughs> while while we are clearly committed um, in terms of in terms of the generic participation, the role that we play in in distributing those drugs to our to our federal customers, we also are committed to educating the market, if you will, as to the logic and in where we fit in and add value uh, in that supply chain. And and along those lines, you've been a a great supporter of our efforts to educate the market. And so I appreciate that from you and I'm happy to be here and join you today. Ben, you've, I'm almost speechless. So thank you. Um, but first of all, let's talk, can you, let's talk about Golden State. Um, there's an interesting history here. Um, and you know, just, I'll, I'll let you go and you can talk about its founding and mission and, you know, we can talk about veterans and the role there as well. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's a heck of a story. Thirty six years old this year. Um, hard to believe that the business has been around that long. And its foundings in 1986 by a, uh, an Air Force veteran, uh, a gentleman named uh, Jim Stroud. Uh, Jim was a was a buyer in the Air Force. And uh, see if this rings true today. A frustrated buyer, upset with supply chain challenges and getting products for his patients, if you will. So what's changed? Right, right. <laughs> the more things change, later. the more they stay the same, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. So as a, as, a, as a frustrated buyer, Jim quite literally sat down and wrote a business plan um, and went knocking on doors uh, at retail pharmacies looking for someone who would uh, give him the, uh, the opportunity to work in the backside of the pharmacy uh, so that he could access the products that he knew that the, that the customers that he was calling on, at that time largely DOD, um, needed. And so Jim would, would take the orders on the one hand in the, in the back end of a pharmacy, and then he would jump in his truck and drive up and down the, uh, the five freeway out here on the West Coast, delivering uh, through the course of the evening and night to the different Air Force bases he was calling on. Um, at that time, we were really, really uh, medical supplies is the best way to say it. So, so it included pharmaceuticals, uh, but it was not exclusive to pharmaceuticals. And so it was sort of all things medical, all things needed by the DOD as he called on them. That was the model uh, that existed for the better part of uh, 10 or 12 years. At one point, he had multiple distribution facilities, Orlando, Hawaii, a few places uh, that, that he was located. Uh, and then the government uh, had, had the wisdom to recognize that, that on the one hand, as a buyer, but also as an inventory and as a, as a stocking buyer, uh, they, they were not as effective as could be. And so they subsequently put prime vendor agreements in 
they they offloaded, if you will, the three PL and the logistics of of the go get on the products they needed to uh, commercial partners uh, today. That's McKesson and uh, and ABC, uh, Marisworth Bergen. Um, in, in that transition, it really um, it eliminated the model that Jim had built in those that first decade of of operations. Uh, timely enough, he visited what then was the construction of the first VA mail order facility in Leavenworth, Kansas. Um, and in that visit, he had the idea, he recognized, he had the foresight and said, geez, if they don't get some of these highly dispensed items in 30-count bottles or 90-count bottles, they're never going to hit their goals, their metrics on scripts a day being filled mm-hmm. out of these mail order facilities. And with that idea, he, he effectively reinvented the business, positioning it as a supplier of generics at that time, very specifically what we call unit of use supply. Again, those 30 count, 90 count, 180 count bottles to make that first mail order facility in Leavenworth, Kansas, really go and go fast. And I'm glad you mentioned that because when you, when you mentioned that, I'm visualizing, you know, I visited the VA, uh, one of their CMOP facilities and watched that, that whole process. And, you know, I've, I've been to your facilities as well and, and done the, and, and looked at what you, what you do as well. And it is, it's, it's amazing, you know, and, and the value add there just in terms of getting the product ready, you know, you know, for point of delivery. Um, it's great stuff. But so, so from that point, talk about when you joined the company and, 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 and more, I'd like to hear too, like just, just how you got there. So it's kind of interesting, I think. Yeah. Yeah, so I, I was, you know, ostensibly an investment banker, um, and I represented sellers of privately held companies. And, and for sure, Jim was always a very curious guy. Um, and, and, and at this time, when I met him in 2001, the curiosity he had, he had was, how do I build this to sell it one day? Um, and I really met him, you know, over lunch in, in a conversation that was directionally just that. We then stayed in touch over the years um, with some regularity. And I even helped him one time uh, uh, challenge a, an award, if you will, that the government had made to a, uh, to a contractor um, successfully, uh, which I think is what, why he leaned in and decided he liked me. But uh, Jim, Jim uh, had made a decision that where, where historically the company had outsourced those, that packaging that you talked about that we have here. We had historically outsourced that. Jim made a decision to insource that. So he went from 6,000 square feet to 33,000 square feet. And I think the first day he stepped into that 33,000 square feet and he heard himself talking in the echoes in the emptiness of that building, he said, boy, I'm going to need help, help filling this place up. And uh, that was the summer of 2008 um, when the phone rang to me and he said, I have a crazy idea. I think you could really help me grow this business. I came up and we sat down and discussed it. Um, truth be told, of course, I had no clue you know, about pharmaceuticals, generic pharmaceuticals, FedGov business, any of it. So I, I subsequently brought a few people in who had built, you know, relevant healthcare distribution businesses to take a look at it. To, if you will give me the confidence or the thumbs up that the model, which at that point was only 13 employees here um, and, and, and only one manufacturing partner, but that the model was scalable, that the story would be relevant with other manufacturing partners, that the value that we were adding to the federal government as a customer made sense, that there was good logic in it. And ultimately, I did get that support. That drove me to, to, to join the business at the, uh, the end of 2008. Um, and to, to say the least, it's been a heck of a run. So what was 33,000 square feet is now 210,000 square feet. 
but was 13 employees is now some 275 employees. And we now have the capacity to package over 30 million bottles per year. Um, okay. So quite a tremendous difference. Um, but again, the, the, the footing of everything that we do uh, created uh, by, by Jim and the team that was here at that time. Yeah. Well, congratulations on that, on that success, that growth. Um, and we'll talk more about the market and your role in it, but um, we do have to take a break uh, right now, um, um, Ben. Um, but before we do, I want to give you a one minute to talk and we can continue it, but just, you know, it, you, you hire a company that's founded by veterans, right? And you, and there you have, there's a special place for veterans at Golden State Medical Supply. And I just wanted you know, to talk about that and also the why it's good business to hire veterans. Look, it's without question, it's, it's a value proposition for us. You know, number one, when you think about the end markets we serve, we're very mission driven. And nobody is more committed to that mission than the, the fraternity, if you will, of, of men and women who have retired from the services, right? Because they come in here and they just, they, they, they drive the culture, they drive the energy. Um, the other thing is they come in here with a disciplined life. They come in here with, right? They come in here with, with skill sets and they come in here with a value set, if you will, um, that really it becomes the tip of the spear of the organization in terms of how every day we do the right thing. We always make the right decision, even if that may or may, that may, may be something that causes some pain, if you will, some momentary pain for the organization. For the end customer, we're always doing the right thing. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that, to just because I've heard that from other executives and their experience in hiring veterans. It's the, it is the skill set. It's the mindset. You know, it's a task orientation, and it's the, the teamwork, right, working as a team to accomplish a goal greater than yourself that, I mean, that, that you see veterans, you know, bring to the private sector and to government as well, you know, once they leave the service. So completely but, agreed, Roger. Yeah. And you know what? We're, we're up, we are now up on the break, Ben. When we come back, we'll talk about, you know, the federal market, your role in it directly, the, the contracts and the, and the agencies and departments that you serve and just, in a little bit more, maybe about the CMOP, which is a very hugely successful program across uh, the VA. Um, and I think it's also important, lastly, and we'll get to this too, is just the role generics play in delivering healthcare for this, for, you know, in this country generally, but also specifically to our veterans and, uh, and our warfighters. My guest today is Ben Hall, he's the Chief Executive Officer for Golden State Medical Supply. I'm Roger Walder, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder, and my guest today is Ben Hall. Ben is the Chief Executive Officer for Golden State Medical Supply, Inc., um, and we're talking about um, Golden State's role in the federal market, the, how generic, generic drugs and distributors... Uh, thereof um, support federal health care and this segment let's let's talk a, bit, a little bit about um, your engagement with the VA and DLA and your partnership there and how, how you support veterans health care um, and others across the board you know through through those contracts um, Ben yeah no I appreciate it you know look the way to think about it the, the government sort of defines itself as the big four the VA the DOD, Indian Health Services, and Bureau of Prisons. There's other smaller smaller uh, consumers from, from the contracts that we have, but 
that's the big four. And then as we think about it, really, we sort of think about it as the big two because the VA and the DOT, you know, they're effectively 98 or 99% of the dollar spend. Um, so we certainly, we, we, we work to have the relationships with all of the different branches, if you will, but the two, the big two, and I think you started the segment out talking about contracting with the VA and the DOD, and that's where the, that's where the contracting does live with those two organizations. And it's interesting because the VA and the DOD, they're almost, there's, there's a lot of equality in size. They both service, you know, somewhere around nine and a half, nine point six million beneficiaries, um, they, they, they do it differently. The VA has over 1,300 care sites nationally, um, but they also have seven of their own mail-order facilities. We talked about those CMOPs on the last, me- the last segment, the, the Consolidated Mail uh, Outpatient Pharmacy. Um, 85% of the dispensing in the VA is co- of prescriptions is coming out of those CMOP, seven uh, CMOP facilities, if you will. DOD also uses a mail order facility, but they outsource it. They use Express Scripts through a contract mm-hmm. that they have with them. Uh, and they've got three facilities that Express Scripts has that, that drive the mail order, um, primarily for the, for the TRICARE for Life patients. Um, outside of that, the, the, the DOD has 700 military pharmacies that they're dispensing from. Um, it really takes 42 or 43 phone calls in that case. There's, there's sort of 42 or 43 decision-making sort of buyers in the, in, 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 the, uh, in the DOD that drive the outcomes for those 700 pharmacies, if you will. Um, just a couple of stats. I find it quite, quite interesting. The CMOPs are pushing out nearly 500,000 prescriptions per day. Um, there's over 330,000 veterans who receive a package in the mail every day with prescriptions. Um, and our, our DOD fills over 100 million prescriptions annually. So suffice it to say, very big organizations, right? Large right. customer, if you will. Yeah, and so in the contracts, you, can you talk a little bit about how you know the the VA? You know, they have their national IDIQ contracts, and can you talk a little bit about what the VA does versus what DoD does? Yeah, there's there's really there's sort of two two theories, if you will, on the contracts. One that they that the government chases is is to your as you as you referenced it, we internally here call that a national contract for simple terms. But effectively with a national contract, the government is raising their hand on a particular molecule, right? On an atorvastatin, um, on a metformin. And they're saying, we want to contract with one supplier ostensibly for the period of five years at locked in pricing. Um, and there's a lot of benefit to that for them. You know, they, 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 they shore up the, the supply chain, uh, they get continuity of, uh, of, of the appearance of the dose, if you will. When you think right. about a lot of our veterans in, in, in perhaps as they're aging, right, there's a lot of confidence when every month the dose you get has the same color and the same tablet markings. There's a, there's a real reduction of uh, customer service needs when you have that kind of continuity. So that's a national contract, five years, one single supplier. The awardee is almost always the person who has the lowest bid, if you will, the total total contract value bid. The other contract, which we call a, a federal supply schedule, a better way to think of that is it's a license to hunt. It's, it's a vehicle, it's a contract bill. You, you can put products on it with prices, but competitors, if you will, in, in sort of a routine fashion can also add to it and perhaps go at a price lower than you. So it's, it's more of a dynamic environment. 
um, than, than the national contract is. Um, and on the one hand, that may sound like it's, you, you know, from a taxpayer standpoint, you may want more of that. But the truth is the third party studies as it relates to the pricing that the government gets, it's clear, concise and evident that when they commit to somebody for five years, they get a reciprocated price, if you will, that's quite advantageous. The vehicle they do really well with are those five year national contracts from a pricing standpoint. That makes, you know, that's that makes, you know, economic sense, business sense, right? To the extent the government is committing for a period of time for you, for you, the company to provide the product, um, you know, that's volume. That's the ability to offer lower prices to beat the competition. Uh, And that's right. And as we started, we, you know, we joked, you know, about the supply chains, right? But if you know, with, with some, you know, fairly good predictability, what the volumes are going to be across five years, you can really shore up those supply chains and get the costs out of the product, if you will, so you can then, you know, deliver that that real profound price from a you know taxpayer standpoint. The, the view of that price you can deliver then to the government that way. Yeah, that's and you know the schedule to your point is it's in the in the in the pharma it's it's like a catalog, right? Where that's you right. can go pick, right? And I was just going to add, Roger. You know, there was a time when you go back to 2012, 13, 14, the national contract was not being leaned on as heavily. Um, and then, then Secretary Shinshiki was challenged uh, about the usage of it. And at that time, I think that, uh, there were there were contracts across 60 different drug families. Mm-hmm. Um, the pendulum swung as a result of that challenge from Congress, and we now have closer to 250 different products that are administered through national contracts. Um, So, so they've really grown their usage of that because of the obvious benefit from a cost standpoint. Right. And um, the department of defense, the somewhat similar model in terms of the type of contracts they're awarding. They, They really do. So, so the DOD primarily buys off of the same contracts, be it a national contract awarded by the VA or the FSS, right? They're buying off of those same contracts. Because of the workload, the VA and DOD, they will split up responsibility for for uh, uh, the solicitation of those contracts and the awarding of those contracts. I, in rough terms, it's probably 80-20 in that the VA administers about 80% of the national contracts and the DOD administers about 20%. Um, and along those lines, I, I know I wanted to get some of your thoughts on because we got about two minutes left already, Ben. He's good to go fast, but I do have to make one point. Yes. Okay, the, the the certainty of the uh, pill, the shape, the the color, all that stuff, I can relate to that. Okay, so when you mention that as like you know reducing stress and that sort of thing, there's a there's a there's a customer service aspect to that that I that I clearly identify with. So, and it's very relevant when you talk to the the folks at the at the, the mail order facilities or in the VA who take those calls from the nervous patients, if you will. It's very relevant when there is when there is a change to that dosage to the look. The the call volumes go through the roof. Yeah, uh, I can imagine, and there's always going to be that period. Like you know, heaven forbid the incumbent doesn't win the next one. There is going to be a transition, perhaps, but that's a one-time deal as opposed to, like, what am I going to get this week in my bottle, right? That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, right. So I also want to ask you what kind of trends you're seeing um, across the two systems, uh, the DOD and VA healthcare systems. Um, I think you noted that the joint national contract program between DOD and uh, and VA is, um, you know, 
is a is a, a engine for savings. Can you talk a little bit more about that? So, some of the key I, listen, features. Listen, I think I think what you just framed is is really the theme that's occurring. I mean, the 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 budgets for these organizations, the VA especially, have have really ballooned in recent years, um, and so. You know, our government is obviously sensitive um, to, to, to those budgets and to, to the extent that they can rein in the cost but still deliver uh, the top shelf care, they will. And so what you're really seeing is is efforts from the two organizations, uh, whether it's their thought processes on, on um, the software systems that they're using to manage the patient populations, right, to the to the procurement of the of both the drugs and the medical supplies, et cetera, they're, they are directionally working closer and closer together to, you know, on the one hand, the mission is always to maintain top shelf, uh, top shelf healthcare for our veterans and active duty without question. On the other hand, to the extent that they can work together better and create more connective tissue between the two organizations that, that very clearly has not historically existed, they're working towards that. Um, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's really about continuity of care for the lifetime of the patient but also doing it, doing it with a, uh, a sense, a sensitivity to the budget. Right. You, that to your point, economies of scale and, and, you know, taking advantage of efficiencies of working more closely together. Um, and, and as you, you do, when you talk to DHA and we've had them, I've spoken to them multiple times, like they're not the tip of the spear, right? So they want to save as much money uh, taking care of people from a healthcare perspective on the DOD side, but uh, to but provide additional funding for the tip of the spear, right? At the end of that's the day, right. that's one of their missions. I think this is you know part of that thought process. How do we leverage capability? And so, Ben, we're at the break, but when we come back, let's let's start the discussion a little bit about generics and the role of generics in our healthcare system and at the VA as well, and the value proposition there. My guest today is Ben Hall. He is the chief executive officer for Golden State Medical Supply. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Ben Hall. Ben is a chief executive officer for Golden State Medical Supply, Inc. Um, and we're, we've been talking about um, pharmaceutical distribution, the federal market, um, the role Golden State Medical Supply plays in that, in that market. And, you know, this segment, Ben, um, I, I wanted to you know, talk to you about basically more generally the role of generics and the role of generics, um, the foundational role, I think, and I, the way I'd probably characterize it, the role that they play in healthcare generally, but also, you know, in supporting veterans health and the, and the warfighter. Yeah, no, great. I mean, it's, um, it's interesting. I have this opinion that that when our our lawmakers are bantering, if you will, about pharma and the cost of pharma, right, is I think it all both generics, brand, everything gets swept up into that conversation. Um, and I think it's somewhat unfair. And so, so the, the reason I say that is 90 percent of the prescriptions filled in this country, actually greater than 90 percent, are filled with a generic drug. And only 18% of total drug spending is on generic drugs. Said another way, at an event that we attend every year, which is, is, is an association of, of, of generic manufacturers, last year, generics saved this country $338 billion in total. Over the last 10 years, that number is closer to $2.4 trillion. Um, so generics play an enormous role in making healthcare, the access to healthcare, care, um, if you will, affordable. I mean, without them, 
right? We, we would just right. have this enormous bifurcation of the haves and have nots in this country as it relates to the access to, to the medicines that, that, that make life that much better. Um, so yes, it's, it's, you know, generic drugs represent only 3% of all healthcare spending, right? So I could, right. I could go on and on with the, the statistics uh, as it relates to cost. Um, but the other part I would just say is, is that sometimes you run into people who don't, don't, I would say appreciate or understand, um, generics are regulated by the FDA just as the brands are. So they, they are, they are truly, uh, measured in a way as it relates to their efficacy, um, that you're getting the same treatment, you know, you're, you're getting right. truly the same treatment for a, you know, a, a price that's 80, 90, 95% savings relative to the brand. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that process, the abbreviated new drug application, you know, and just what that mean when you think, when people think about generics, they understand that they are, you know, it is a regulated industry, right? Yeah. Highly regulated. So with a brand drug, the the, the brands submit something called an NDA, a novel drug application, right? Which, which takes, as we know, years of effort and, and trials and what have you to prove that it's value and efficacy, um, when it comes to a generic drug, you file what's called an abbreviated new drug application, which you just referenced. You know, the reason it's abbreviated is because you're not creating something new that needs the proof statement. What you're doing is you're reverse engineering something to say that to show that you can make it with 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 a demonstrably similar efficacy within you know right. a tolerance of about five percent as the brand. Um, and, and so it, so it doesn't require the same studies and those same efforts because that's been done and the, the drug has been on the market with the brand for many, many years. And so we have lots of studies and everything that supports the reason for this molecule to exist, but it's once it gets to the generic world, yes, to your point, highly regulated, lots of submissions and back and forth and how it's going to be made to the FDA, who of course can compare and contrast that to what the brand is doing, you know, sort of in a in a white space of, of uh, without sharing any trade secrets and conclude that this generic manufacturer can make this and deliver that same value, that efficacy to the patient. Right. And that's, I mean, that's part of the foundational is why, you know, we have so many generic drugs out there, right? At the end of the day, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's part of the, the, the pharmaceutical industry, the way it works, but, you know, the FDA, you know, fundamentally is, is a linchpin to the whole thing, obviously. I mean, I'm saying the obvious, but it's it's so true. It's often uh, missed, though, Roger. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so another thing I wanted to ask you about in, in this arena, it's just a fascinating time, you know, post-COVID and kind of lessons learned. And it's there's I think they're sort of two sides of the same coin in some ways is that, you know, one of the things I know that you know, the continued downward pressure uh, price pressure on generics. Um, what does that do to the viability of the industry just generally? And then, you know, and maybe it's, it's a subset as opposed to the other side of the coin, but also this focus now on supply chain resiliency, domestic sourcing there. I mean, the first, the downward price pressure clearly impacts industry generally, but also directly impacts the ability to domestically manufacture things. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah. And what I would say, you know, to start with is, is that running a business uh, that's inherently deflationary in an inflationary <laughs> environment <laughs> right, has, yeah. has its challenges. And um, 
you know, our, our industry has been challenged with enormous pricing pressure for several years. Um, you know, the, the, the impact, if you're, if your industry is quite obvious from the, you know, on the one hand, the evidence of the number of companies that have either gone bankrupt or through some sort of a bankruptcy restructuring, I would say to you six or eight in the last two years have, have suffered that sort of outcome. You know, companies historically, you know, Mylan Beatrice, who had, you know, was the second largest employer in Morgantown, West Virginia, and what had to be the very difficult choice that they made to shut that facility down. Um, you know, when I got into this business, that was the the beacon on the hill in terms of quality, in terms of U.S. generic right. drug manufacturing. And and to think that that's not producing product anymore is is nothing. It's nothing short of shocking. Um, on the one hand, you know, on the other hand, um, you know, it's this pressure, it's the pricing, and it's it's the inability, if you will, onshore to make some of the mass-produced doses and do it and turn a profit. Um, and so that's what's driven, you know, the outcome we have now, which is where a lot of these big, if you will, the big legacy manufacturers are pointing towards auto injectors, tougher to make specialty items, you know, films, et cetera. So, you know, when you, when you think about some of the simple, what we call oral solids, you know, right. tablets, capsules, mm-hmm. et cetera, that's what's that's what's really become difficult to make in this country. Um, and it's unfortunate because that is what's so highly dispensed and so highly leveraged in terms of people's daily good health. Um, and so some some solution set is going to have to be reached if we want to have viable manufacturing capacity in this country. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, I view it as a, there's just a national security issue like, well, we'll you know, and we'll talk about you know, some of the lessons learned from COVID in the next segment. But but. We're sort of talking about one of those related things right now, right? That who knows what we'll need next. And, you know, and even some basic things like antibiotics and other things that are, you know, manufactured completely 100%, you know, outside this country. Um, no, you're just, absolutely right, Roger. There was there was a point in my tenure here at Golden State where there was no the best domestic antibiotic production. None. Zero. Um, even now... A, you know, the, the, the drug that we stockpile in this country greater than any other is doxycycline. Um, it is it is stockpiled in, in, in enormous volumes uh, for, for a lot of obvious reasons as it relates to any sort of bioterror or any of that mm-hmm. sort of event. We are we are sort of prepared. Um, there is a time that that the only that, that effectively the raw material for that all came out of one country and one where our relations uh, ebb and flow and is negligible. Okay. And so, so safe to say that we've met with the federal government, um, actually about a year ahead of COVID, uh, on that very specific issue and brought that up and made them aware that this is, this is not just a access supply chain, nice to have issue. This is a, to your point, very much a national security issue. Yeah. And I, um, and it'd be, I think, and it's it's one that you, we're continuing to see how the government evolves in terms of how it's going to address it over the long term. But I think, and I and get your reaction to this, it seems to me there has to be, you know, an identification that there has to be not just support on the demand side, you're going to buy the stuff, but on the, su- the supply side, there has to be some sort of support in some manner or way. If you're going to uh, create incentives for domestic uh, manufacturing or, you know, 
multiple sources that are in places that may be a bit more friendly. I mean, it, I mean, that's right. And look, at, at one point in, you know, in the height of COVID, there was the, the effort to develop an essential medicines list. And, and, and quite frankly, that list that was created was so large. It was so massive that the ability to yeah, take action right. on that, right. It was, was a near, it's, it's a near impossibility. And so somebody has to go in and, and whack away at that to, to get to something that, that is, um, that's actionable. Um, but to your point, um, you know, how ultimately the government deals with that, that if you will, that the, the ability to, to, to drive the demand from the government as a customer, in my opinion, they're probably going to have to um, have an institutional consolation as it relates to pricing, right? A willingness to pay something more yes. to support domestic manufacturing. How they get that done, what that looks like, is it a percent, is it, you know, exactly how they, how, how they carve that turkey will will be figured out. But I do think it's going to take that version of an outcome to drive, if you will, the onshoring of, 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 the, of the production of, of so many essential medicines to alleviate the issue of um, national security. Yeah. Yeah. It has to be that and it has to be a long-term commitment. Otherwise, right. 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 It's not, you know, three years from now, everybody forgets we had COVID or whatever. That's right. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so Ben, we're taking the break. Uh, and when we come back, we'll talk, talk a little bit about COVID lessons learned, your experiences at Golden State in supporting the federal government. And then, you know, I'd like to turn to talk to your thoughts on leadership and, you know, foundations of a, you know, high performing organization. My guest today is Ben Hall. He's the chief executive officer of Golden State Medical Supply. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. When the world calls for advanced electronics, we respond with C4ISR breakthroughs. When the world calls for defense from cyber threats, we provide groundbreaking cyber solutions. When the world calls for a revolution in autonomous technology, Northrop Grumman is there. At Northrop Grumman, we're constantly innovating to deliver the most effective and affordable solutions to our customers. Whether it's cyber, logistics, autonomous systems, C4ISR, or strike, that's the value of performance. Northrop Grumman. To learn more, visit NorthropGrumman.com performance. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walter, and my guest today is Ben Hall. Ben is the Chief Executive Officer of Golden State Medical Supply, Inc., and we've been talking about um, the generic uh, pharmaceutical industry, uh, distribution services support, uh, supporting the VA, DOD, um, and a little bit about the state of generic manufacturing and in, in the market. Uh, these days, and this segment, um, Ben, I wanted to, uh, you know, just get your uh, thoughts, your experiences, and you know, lessons learned from COVID and supporting the VA, because you can still continue to support the VA because people got sick with other stuff or they needed their prescriptions, right? And even then, it things probably change in terms of probably profile of what folks needed um, to help treat people who did have uh, COVID. Um, just your perspective on that and some lessons learned. And, you know, I know you're, you're very interested in the VA's role, you know, and the national emergency response as well. Yeah, it was, it was in a single word, it was impressive. Um, you know, at the very beginning, we were, you know, as a country, we were just operating in a space of the unknown, right? With lockdowns and shutdowns and all these sorts of things. And so 
you know, the VA moved swiftly to really onboard as much inventory as they could of essential medicines. Um, I would say that they brought forward as much as 90 days worth of inventory. And they didn't just bring it on board and sit on it. In many cases, they got it into the patient's hands. Um, again, so much of the unknown, not knowing, you know, in these lockdowns what was going to happen with our, with our capacity to mail, right? What was going to happen with our capacity in these mail order facilities and the ability to just simply operate. And so they, they very uh, swiftly, quickly stockpiled inventory and got it into the patient's hands. It was sort of a first move. You know, secondarily, they were also incredibly thoughtful about their fourth mission, fourth mission being the support of the civilian population as a backup. Right. Yep. And, and I would say right. most people aren't aware of that mission. Um, but they uh, we were we were in regular communication with leadership at the VA about what are we seeing? What are what are the supply chains looking like for us? Um, e- even heard from members of Con- Congress who are responsible uh, for, for VA health care. They were reaching out directly, you know, uh, and getting feedback from us on, on kind of what was going on. And so they very much worked towards being ready to serve that not not only their 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 inherent nine and a half million patients that they serve every day but but to be the backstop for the uh for the fourth mission um other things you know there was a time of course hydroxychloroquine was a very very hot <laughs> word right um, right right you know, I remember and, and, and there was also a time when it was fair to talk hydroxychloroquine it hadn't been proven yet you know what right. i mean that that it yep, was sure that it hadn't become taboo right and so right you know, during that during that moment in time, I mean, you know, the VA, they pursued a significant um, amount of inventory for it. On the one hand, um, because if it, if it was going to be the benefit that people thought it was going to be, they wanted to have it. And on the other hand, don't forget, the VA is an unbelievably large research organization. Um, and That's so right. us with our partners, uh, Dr. Reddy's, we were able to shore up a million doses of uh, hydroxychloroquine for the VA's benefit. Um, this is one of those moments to do the right thing. We, we got it to the VA at our cost. Um, and I will tell you that our partners at Dr. Reddy's supported not only us, but also the VA because we supplied it at quite a discount to what, what, what was a national contract price with another vendor at that time. Um, but the supply of it was driven by who had it at that moment in time. Um, that was that was sort of the Dr. Reddy's uh, solution is that they had it where others didn't. Um, but also just just, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I talked about McKesson being a prime vendor for the VA. Um, you know, McKesson did a great job shoring up and securing those supply chains for the VA. And, and, and you know, and again, they are that 3PL agent. They're that they're the agent who goes and gets it. So when I talk about all the extra inventory you know, you can go place the order, but you got to bring it in. You got to, you right, know, you got to right. inventory, you got to put it on a shelf and then turn around and get it out to these VA facilities. So um, really an all hands on deck moment. Um, and, and, and as I mentioned, the, the, the operative word being impressive. Yeah. So, and one of the things I sort of listening to you that strikes me is, um, and I've heard from others, is that the critical role, transparency, and communication, right, between go- that government industry partnership and more closely sharing information about what's really going on, both on the supply side, right, what's available, what isn't, where it's coming from, and on demand side, this is what we needed, this is where we need it, kind of improving that communication by necessity, I think was critical. And is it something that you see con- will continue? It's a Somewhat as a good business practice and how industry and government work together on these things? 
I think it's imperative. I mean, I think what we know this many years later, you know, specific to drugs, you know, in the, in the drug supply chains, there's, there's always going to be shortages, right, from one individual manufacturer to another, let's say. And so to the extent that you're transparent and forthcoming with that feedback, right, and communicating that to the end customer, they can, they can, they can maneuver for the benefit right. of the patient, right? Yeah, yeah. I think it's, it's always about what's the mission. If you're doing the right thing by the mission, and that is to take care of the patient, then, then, then the obvious is to the transparency that you should be communicating is there. And, and it's fair to say in our case, we have routine and regular calls uh, with leadership in the VA on a monthly basis where we're very much sharing with them, here's what's going on, here's the bubbles in the supply chain that we see that are six weeks out, eight weeks out, ten weeks out, um, and, and always forthcoming with the information and the data so that we can always be doing the right thing by the patient. Right, exactly, yeah. Um, and so now we got a, we got a couple minutes left, and I I wanted to I promised I'm getting to this because I want to get I want to yeah. get your thoughts, and just in general on leadership. I know you know you, you what makes a great team a high performing organization. Just a, two or three quick thoughts on that. We've got a couple minutes left. Yeah, look, I'm a sports nut. Um, you know, I play sports As myself. I. Right. My yeah. kids play sports and all that yeah. sort of stuff. And I think I think sports informs a lot of a lot of the way that I sort of think about and approach these things. And so the first thing I think of is when I'm in hiring mode, especially for for anybody who's going to report to me, I am trying to find and hire the best athlete I can. Right. right. If I find that best athlete, then then for me, the belief is, is that I can manage them with an incredibly long leash. Right. Because they come to me with their own skill set, their own leadership style. And at most, maybe as as they slide in and fit into our culture, there's a little tweaking. There's a little massaging. Sure. But that's at most. Right. Because they've got, you know, as I said, they're, they're, they're great athletes coming in. Um, you know, for me, the thing that I focus on now in this business 15 years later is really culture. Um, it's, you know, on the one hand, it's easy. Um, because we're so mission driven and who our patient population is that establishes our culture. That is the, the, the tip of the spear as it relates to, to to who are we and and, and why do we do it? Um, so on the one hand, you know, it's, it's easy that way. Um, on the other hand, for me, when I think about culture and I think about the do the right thing, and it's interesting, we, we talked earlier about Jim Stroud and the founding of this business. Jim always said, active ear and probot, active ear and probot actions prove the man. Okay. Um, and, and we even have it up in one of our break rooms uh, in, in, in honor of his legacy. But when I think you're when I believe the culture is right, the employee that you need to spend the extra, extra hour getting something done, the work that you need to get something out the door for the patient's benefit, the decision that might be hard in a moment as it relates to the business, if you consider the mission, and you consider the culture becomes easy. Right. Right. So that's why for me, culture and, you know, how people feel walking through, if you will, the front doors into the four walls of our business every day is is so it's so profound because it drives the outcomes on a daily basis that matter most that would allow us to be a relevant partner to the federal government, not only tomorrow, but 10 years from now and 20 years from now. Right. And on that note, Ben, that's a great way to finish the show. Thank you so much. I want to thank my guest today. Ben Hall, he's the Chief Executive Officer for Golden State Medical Supply. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network.
You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One. 